0: What's up, friends? It's Haley, a.k.a. Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give em the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. Hello everybody. And welcome back to another episode of give them the bird. My name is Haley, AKA bird. And on today's episode, I have the lovely pleasure of
1: chatting with Brienne from anti-diet yoga. Welcome Brienne. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad we were able to connect and have an opportunity to chat all things anti-diet. Yes. <laughs> so excited to have you here. Like I told you before we started
0: recording, it's so fun for me to feel like like meet somebody on Instagram and feel like I totally connect with them. And then to connect in real time is just like very pleasing.
1: (laughs) I know we become more than those little squares that we see of each other or the reels now, because that seems to be the
0: The reels
1: are where it's at. Yeah. it's (laughs) uh,
0: It's so funny. You say that I just yesterday, my Instagram was being super weird. So I deleted the app, reinstalled it. Don't recommend it if you have a ton of real drafts because I lost all of them. Oh, I was like, oh, no. oh my God, where'd they go? Yeah. Luckily I hadn't spent like a ton of time on any of those. It was just like the, the audio. I hadn't put any words on it, but I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I'll do that on my day off on Monday. Like just record a bunch of new reels. So yeah, I don't it, recommend it- love hate with Instagram. Yeah.
1: Connecting hate <laughs> frustrations. Yeah. That's like
0: social media in general for me. I feel like like love hate relationship with it, but yeah. Well, to get us started, I'm wondering if you can tell us just a little bit more about you. Sure.
1: So I am the founder of anti-diet yoga. I created this, what I like to call a safe community for people to connect with their mind and their bodies. And it's really influenced by my experience of relearning yoga and becoming aware of intuitive eating. And so um, I became certified as a yoga teacher. And around the same time I was considering doing that, I had come across intuitive eating. And I was at a point in my life where I realized I really needed a change. And I had been dieting for many years and had a very up and down relationship with my body personally. And so I came across intuitive eating. And I always say, I wish I knew where I found it. Like I don't have this great memory of like intuitive eating, you know, but um, I started seeing more information about it and realized that like, this was the change that I had really been looking for, for, for quite a few years. And so as I became a yoga teacher and as I explored intuitive eating in my personal life, I started to realize how intuitive eating really could be practiced on my yoga mat, which sounds funny. I'm not eating on my yoga mat, but if you want to, I welcome (laughs) that, snacks are always fine. Um, But what I noticed was that intuitive eating is really that introceptive awareness. So really learning how things feel inside of our bodies. And we spend a lot of time for uh, many reasons in our heads Mm -hmm. um, and disconnected from those feelings and diet culture teaches us not to trust those feelings. And so on our yoga mat, we spend a lot of time noticing things. What do sensations feel like? Where do I need to rest? Where do I need to push Mm -hmm. more? And so I started to see that I could practice noticing on my yoga mat. And then when it came to my relationship with food and practicing intuitive eating, I kind of had a better idea of what it felt like to really feel. Mm -hmm. Um, and so from there, I kind of started developing this idea and created yoga classes around it. And it's just, um, it's been such a honor to be able to share this with so many people. For me,
0: mm. it's really cool that you've it, like actually integrated intuitive eating and the principles with yoga. Because I feel like we always talk about how you know it's both listening to your body and it's like you know really great for mental health and all of this like both sides. But we don't actually. I I've never seen them integrated together and so that's why it was so when I saw that you had like intuitive eating informed classes I was like oh my gosh this is so cool so I love that your brain worked
1: in a way that was like let me mesh these two together that's brilliant thank you yeah I mean it was it was really just you know they say when something's right it's easy Mm -hmm. and this just felt to me um easy to be able to come up with the themes and, you know, learning from Elise, especially um, doing my intuitive eating training, she talks so much about meditation and breath practice, Mm -hmm. and then seeing how um, even trauma-informed yoga and learning more about trauma and and really our relationships with our bodies and foods, it's not just about the food, right? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's about a lot more. And a lot of times people come to that disordered eating place because of trauma in their life or something that they're trying to control. But hearing Elise talk about, um, and um, Evelyn talk about how we really, need to go within and we need Mm -hmm. to start those meditation and breathing practices and just noticing what's going on in our body to be able to heal those relationships, just help fuel what I kind of had felt in my own body and Mm -hmm. felt in my own journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. It's like you're practicing well,
0: yeah. Practicing intuitive eating while doing yoga, but it's almost like training for intuitive eating on your mat in a way. So that's really cool. Yes. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> no, it is exactly like you said. It's like training, right? Yeah. Like you don't, you don't just go out and run a race, right? Mm-hmm. You, you practice. And so intuitive eating is a lifelong journey. It's mm-hmm. a, it really is. It's a marathon. You oh, know, yeah. I think sometimes people come to it thinking like, I'm gonna feel my hunger. I'm gonna feel my fullness. I'm gonna, you know, check, 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 check. And then they go through all that and life happens or <laughs> our old habits happen or or just, it's hard, yes. you know? And we have this, this idea that in dieting, we're either on or off, we're right or wrong. And so, you know, it's looking at it as a journey, as a marathon, Mm -hmm. and that we need to train and retrain our bodies and our minds to be able to go on this journey and to have the tools to be able to go on this journey. Just Mm -hmm. like you need the right running shoes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) We need those right internal tools to be able to make that progress.
0: Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. So speaking of journey, one of the things that I love to ask my guests that come on the podcast is maybe how you define healthy and fit. Um, And also if at all, that definition has changed over the years for you. Um, When I started the podcast, I was at this place for like my definition of healthy and fit and what it means to be healthy and fit was taking a one eighty because I was learning about intuitive eating and it was like, oh my gosh, everything that I thought I knew, you know, it was totally getting turned on its head. So I love to know, um, yeah, when you think of being healthy and fit, Maybe what comes to mind? How would you define it,
1: and how, if at all, has it changed over the years for you? Yeah, so <laughs> I'll start with how it's changed. I think mm-hmm. because I, I think that backstory is helpful. Um, I have lived in different size bodies. I like to recognize that I have always had thin privilege, mm-hmm. even at times in my life where I didn't feel quote, unquote, thin. So I, I like to be very clear about that. So my experience is going to be different than somebody that's lived a life in a different body size. Um, with that being said, growing up, I was always on the the bigger side compared to my peers. And so in my um, feelings, I was in a larger body. And so I had struggled from a very young age, always trying to lose weight because in my mind, being healthy was being small and being thin. And that really was the only thing I looked at. I figure skated growing up my whole life, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of funny because luckily my relationship with my body was not negatively impacted as a figure skater. Um, which is I think kind of unique because there is a lot of pressure for aesthetics and in, in that world. But for me, it was something that I was passionate about and I loved and I spent hours and hours on the ice and I fueled my body looking back poorly in a lot of ways because I was so fixated on trying to look like everybody else. Um, and so at that age, I was healthy. I was doing what I needed to do and my body was where it needed to be. But I just couldn't see that because of the messages that I was getting from the magazines and my peers. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I just always throughout my life kind of had this back and forth of always thinking I needed to be focused on being smaller. I met a wonderful man who loves me for who I am, got married, had um, a little boy, had another little boy 20 months later. And then all of a sudden that idea again of my life would be great if I was just smaller came back. And so I went on very drastic diets to make myself smaller and I did it and I got smaller and I got obsessed and working out and eating healthy was top of mind for me for many, many years after that. Mm-hmm. And I thought at that moment, I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm getting praise for being smaller. I'm working out all the time. We don't eat sugar. My kids don't eat processed food. I mean, and I want to put big quotes around all of that, right? Like mm-hmm. that this was that idea of what healthy looks like, mm-hmm. but inside I was miserable. I was anxious. I was um, not the best mom. I was honestly probably starving most of my time and <laughs> trying to parent young children when you're really hungry. Does that Oh anything. man. I can't <laughs> do anything when I'm hangry,
0: much right? less like, like parent children.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was just really hangry. And so I came to a point and, and I kind of had that moment. My dad passed away suddenly, and I had this aha of what am I doing with my life? Like I am I'm obsessed with this image that I've created and, and why. And so I really started to explore that and, and found intuitive eating and started to learn that health is not about the way our body looks. Mm -hmm. Health is about, are we mentally healthy? Are we able to rest? Are we able to nourish ourselves with the food that we have available. Because again, I come from a very privileged place and this idea that there were good or bad foods, Mm. that's not accessible to everybody, you know? So, you know, eating a processed meal is not bad. And sometimes that's the most important thing for your health that you're fueling your body. And so I started to just explore these things and realizing that my idea of health really wasn't healthy. Mm. Um, and so now it is, it's about how do I feel? Do I have energy? Do I um, have motivation to be around my kids? Do I have excitement for the life that I'm living? And can I move my body in a way that feels joyful for me? And can I nourish my body in a way, way that makes me feel good? Because there are certain things that I'll eat that I realize that that didn't make me feel great. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being more aware of that. So that was a very long winded answer to your question. (laughs) So good though. Yeah. I love how you took us back all the way to your
0: childhood. I feel like, do you have on your website about like the story from when you were younger and like ice skating and what you felt like was a bigger body? I feel like I've read that somewhere from you. Yeah,
1: no, I did a video (laughs) on it on Instagram actually where, where I did talk about, um, the ice for me was always a safe place. Mm -hmm. Um, It was where I felt the most at home and I never thought about my body maybe occasionally, but it was never a big thing for me. It was just about moving my body. And I love trying to jump. And my family laughs that I spent more time falling than I did standing. <laughs> um, it taught me a lot about perseverance of like, mm-hmm. when you want to learn something new, like you just keep trying over and over again, and you're gonna fall down mm-hmm. and you get back up and you try that jump again. And one day you'll land it. And it's mm-hmm. a, that feeling for me, I loved that, that idea. And as an adult, my yoga mat became that safe place for mm. me, um, where I really felt I could move my body. And I didn't think about the size of my body or the shape mm. of my body. I just felt, um, powerful. I had excitement of trying to learn new things and, uh, I felt at home there, which I think is important. Mm.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I know you, you mentioned that, you know, when you were dieting and in that place of restriction, you were feeling anxious and stressed and wasn't being maybe the, the, the mom that you wanted to be. I'm curious too, like thinking about some of, um, the other things that you noticed when you were dieting, like the impact that dieting had on your life. Um, and maybe it was, you noticed it in the moment or now looking back, you can see, you know, that look at all the things that when I was dieting, when I was being restrictive, like what, what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think about like the relationships that I missed out on because there was so much focus on that diet talk that, that was like this like piece of, or the whole part of those relationships was around what diet was I going to go on or this eating plan that I was going to follow. And, and I think I um, stunted my relationships because I couldn't get past that. Like it was always on my mind. And so I was always talking about it. It felt like, Mm. um, I also think with my children, that's some regrets that I have that, you know, I see them even now looking at like, how much sugar is in this Mm. sugar is bad. Um, and I think I, I instilled some really, um, unhealthy ideas in them. Now I am so grateful that I've changed where I am because my children are still young and Mm -hmm. I can just as I'm relearning um, I can reteach them and Mm -hmm. and share with them that all bodies are good and that all food is good and that we listen to our bodies and so but I do I do have regrets about that of what they heard and the messaging that they heard for many years from me Um, Mm -hmm. and the anxiety I mean I think you know anxiety is a really tough tough thing. And I, I encourage anybody that is struggling with anxiety to, to work with a professional, to work mm-hmm. with a therapist, to really figure out why you have those feelings of anxiety, because there, in my experience, there's underlying reasons. And so part of what I found was my anxiety was triggered by this need to control my food. Mm-hmm. And as we learn, you can't control your food forever your body eventually needs more nourishment or substance. you know, you need to feed your body. And so when I would lose control, which, you know, would be eating the foods I didn't deem appropriate or overeating foods, it would trigger my anxiety even more because now I messed up, you know? So now I've lost total control in my mind. And then I became more anxious that if I lose control of this food, the world's going to fall apart. Yes. And it's that vicious cycle. Um, and until I started to nourish myself and really feed myself a proper amount of food, um, I couldn't get out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge trigger for my anxiety, yeah. um, looking back, but I didn't know it at the time. I just mm-hmm. thought like the anxiety was, that's just how I am. I'm, yes. I'm an anxious person. <laughs> I can (laughs) 1000% relate to that. Like
0: I had been going to, I've been going to therapy for a long time for anxiety, but it wasn't until I learned about intuitive eating that I even brought like the food and the body image into the conversation with my therapist, because she was like, Oh, you're, you know, well, I shouldn't say I knew what she was thinking, but I'm a health prof- professional. Like I know what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with food and exercise and all of this. And then when I learned about intuitive eating, I realized that so much of my anxiety stemmed from, yeah, not having, con- when I felt like I didn't have control or using food or, you know, controlling my body size in order to gain a sense of control when the world felt like it was out of control. So I can completely relate to those feelings. Um, and even now, like, I don't know if this is true for you, but even now I can still notice, um, when something happens at work or, you know, something else that kind of makes me feel anxious, my go-to, like, I still notice the tendency to like, maybe I should download my fitness pal or like, I still, I still notice that. And again, I know that I've grown for many reasons, but one is that I'm at least aware of it. Um, I don't know if that, if that's true for you or not.
1: Oh my, a hundred percent. I always laugh. And I I do (laughs) share this on my social media. You know, I have moments where like there's triggers, like life feels out of control. And I have three young Mm -hmm. children and like transitions going back to school is an example of that. And there is a piece of me that all of a sudden goes like, you just need to get your eating back under control, Brianne. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Like, like what? Like A, what is under control? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and B, okay, notice. And that's what we do on our yoga mats. We, we, we learn to pause, take a breath and notice. Mm. And so the, in that pause, in that stillness, we can then evaluate, is this a, is this a true thought? or is this a misperception? Mm. And and what I found is most of the time it's a misperception that mm. that changing my food is not going to make my kids going back to school and the stress of the new schedule any better. It's actually <laughs> going to make me more anxious because I'm starving again. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, I
0: love that point and that's something they talk about in intuitive eating is like distorted versus rational thoughts. It's almost like fact versus myth. Like what is true in this moment? Like am I actually going to have more control or the opposite. I love, I love yeah. that. That's how you, that you integrate that into the yoga practice too.
1: Yeah. And that's part of, you know, a lot of the yoga. And when I say yoga, it's, it's hard because there's the movement practice of yoga, the mm-hmm. asana practice, which is mo- what most people are familiar with, but there's also the meditation and the breath practice. And in the meditation practice, there is kind of a, um, rules is not the right word, but um, there's something called the yoga sutras. And it, it's mm. kind of what guides that practice. And, and a lot of information that we know about yoga has come from the yoga sutras. And one of the sutras talks about misperceptions, mm. that one of the things that hinders us from really connecting with ourselves is those misperceptions in the world. And they use the example of you see a stick and you think it's a snake yes. and you get scared, right? But I use the example of you see a donut, <laughs> you think it's going to ruin your life and you get scared. Mm. <laughs> but you know, that misperception of what power that food has or what power, mm. you know, going on that diet has over you. And so that's where we can kind of pull in those teachings um, from yoga to really look at at those things.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes me think of on I think it's on your about me page on your website. You talk about you know, connecting anti-diet movement and intuitive eating with what yoga really is at its core. And so I'm curious maybe that's kind of what um, when you talk about the sutras, what that's what that's getting at. But I'm curious if you
1: can talk more about that. Yeah, so, you know, when you look, and we're talking a lot about social media today, because I just think that's the, yeah. just- How can you not? It's world, like right? so, yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you look on social media and you look up um, the hashtag yoga, I mean, what do you see? You see predominantly women in very little clothes doing very acrobatic poses in a beautiful setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And that's not what yoga is. You know, yoga at its core is really- learning to connect and learning to be in the moment with yourself Mm -hmm. and finding your true self and your true being. And we do that through meditation. We do that through pranayama or breathing practices. And then there's a small piece where we do that through movement. And I find that the movement in many ways can be a gateway for people to be able to really start to settle and get into their body. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes I think yoga just gets stuck in that movement. And that's where diet culture and diet messaging can take over yoga, Mm -hmm. where yoga becomes, you know, yoga to burn calories, yoga to tone. I just had a book that I got that I was really excited about. It was a chair yoga book. And I'm looking to incorporate more of that into my classes because I like to make sure that our, my movement is accessible to anybody. And so I want to make sure that I fully understand different ways that we can move our body using support of a chair, let's say, but in that book, at the very end, there was a 10 minute yoga for weight loss. And I just, it made me so angry, honestly, Mm -hmm. because first of all, it was one page. It could have very easily been left out and it had no place in that book in my opinion. Mm. If somebody's coming to a yo- chair yoga book or any yoga book to learn about movement, why do we have to then take it to losing weight? Mm. I'm sorry, 10 minutes of yoga, <laughs> I don't even understand like I don't believe in intentional weight loss, but I don't think 10 minutes of yoga is going to even give you intentional. Right, weight loss. right. So, <laughs> so I don't even There's know a why. disconnect there. Why? Yeah. There's a huge disconnect. <laughs> um but yeah like that's the problem is sometimes we we think we're finding yoga or we're we're connecting and then all of a sudden these messages come mm. at us from from nowhere mm. um and and that's not what yoga is to me mm-hmm. um, and to my teachers that I have learned from
0: yeah yeah so tell me more about the anti diet yoga piece all that you do like how i know you've shared a little bit about um you know how you have your own like body acceptance or intuitive eating journey has gone, where did the anti-diet yoga place or piece come into, come into, you know, your being and and all the things that
1: you're doing? Yeah. So when I started, when I decided to become a yoga teacher, you know, I was talking to people in my life and I had so many people say to me, well, I've tried yoga, but I don't have the right body or Mm. I've tried yoga, but I'm not flexible enough, or I've tried yoga, but I just, you know, that type of movement just doesn't count because it doesn't burn enough calories, Mm -hmm. you know, like all of these reasons why they, they couldn't do yoga. And as I started learning about yoga, I started and practicing specifically the asana practice and movement practice. You know, I started to see how in a lot of mainstream yoga, it is very, um, aesthetics driven. It's, um, this is the way you should get into this shape. You need to adjust your body so that you can create this form with your body. Mm. And, and I kind of that that kind of bothered me because what I was feeling in my body, and especially as my body's changed as I've gone on this intuitive eating journey, was that there were poses that frankly weren't accessible to me based on my body type and my body style. And so I started to explore and and find other teachers that were talking about uh, more body positive yoga. Um, accessible yoga, yoga, yoga for different bodies. And I really gravitated towards this idea of we can make that movement practice work for our bodies.
0: Mm. And as I,
1: and that was kind of my catalyst of, I want to provide a space where people are able to practice in whatever body they have at whatever level they they're at and feel comfortable. Mm. And so That started my journey. And then I layered on those intuitive eating pieces and really wanted to give people that are practicing intuitive eating a safe space to find joyful movement. Mm -hmm. And you can attend my classes if you don't know anything about intuitive eating. I think the themes are um, transferable to other things in our lives, but I wanted to be that Spot where you could come back to movement if maybe you needed to take a break from it, or maybe you wanted to explore what joyful movement may look like and not be triggered by diet culture messages. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of grew it from there. I teach online, which, um, you know, during this pandemic has been a blessing. Mm-hmm. I learned to teach online. So I feel very lucky that I have that experience and I feel comfortable teaching over zoom. And I love the piece that it makes yoga more accessible for people, A, because they can do it in their homes. I always tell people you can have your camera on or off. And that's really important to me because I understand that maybe you don't like the idea of people seeing into your home. Mm. Maybe you don't like the idea of your body being on a screen. You're not at a place where that's um, helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And so I give you that option to turn the camera off. And I think that's empowered my students to really make decisions for themselves that make them feel comfortable, mm. um, which I think is important, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be able to practice in a space and maybe you have not felt comfortable going into a yoga studio for whatever reason, mm-hmm. this gives you a safe place to be able to practice, um, being in your home. And that can feel comforting for people as well.
0: hmm i think about two most yoga studios or the ones that i've been in a lot of times they have just like that wall of mirrors you know and yes. and even like group group fitness too just like you know group exercise in general and how even if we don't go in with the intention of like comparing our bodies to the person next to us um it's impossible not to like, look, cause you can't yoga with your eyes closed unless it's like, you know, <laughs> you can't work out with we your do eyes closed. some, but yeah, <laughs> that could be dangerous, but it's impossible to not see the person next to you. That's, you know, going into the, the uh, full crow pose or the person right. on the other side of you who's deeper into their warriors. Like it's impossible to tune that out. And I love that you give the option of not having your camera on. Um, in your classes. I hadn't thought about that at all. Um, and I was working with a student, um, again, during the pandemic, when things were still really shut down and that was a huge hesitation, um, that she had was seeing herself, it was doing Zumba, but seeing herself doing the Zumba. Um, and she actually didn't know at the time that she could turn her camera off. I was like, girl, for all these classes, you don't have to have your camera on at all.
1: <laughs> yes, but yeah, just yeah. that
0: idea of even being in a small square and seeing ourselves move like it, it takes us away from our bodies. Um, and that interceptive awareness that you talked about earlier too.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I think is really important. You know, I do, um, pra- I demonstrate in my classes and it's funny because there's different views on this in the yoga world. Now, mm-hmm. for me, there is something about I want my students to feel a connection to me and those mirror neurons where, um, where we see people and we can actually kind of take in what they're doing and it can help us regulate ourselves. I think that's important. And so I do practice, but I do verbally cue everything. And so it's important for me that I'm gonna give you things to keep yourself safe, especially if I can't see you. So I do put right. on my students, I let them know that if you do turn your camera off, I'm not going to be able to see you. So you really need to be aware of your movement to keep yourself safe. And I'm going to give you guidelines or suggestions as we're going through of how to keep yourself safe. Um, But yeah, so it's kind of this catch 22, because I want to be able to see you. I want to be able able to support you, but I understand that sometimes people aren't in a place for that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes back to what I tell at the beginning of all of my classes. This is your practice. It's your opportunity to connect with your body. I'm going to give you suggestions. I'm going to guide you through this. But at the end of the day, it's your, you have to own what feels right in your body. And Mm. I can't tell you that. And so I really want my students to take that ownership and know that it is their practice. And if they need to take a seat, if they need to lay down, if they need to just meditate or breathe, they are welcome to do that the whole time we're together. Mm. They do what's right for their bodies.
0: Mm, yeah and that takes me back to what you were saying it's it's more than just the, the postures you know it's more than the is it asanas asanas asana, yeah asana, asana yeah yeah <laughs> um i love that i'm curious for folks who might be listening um and who maybe are ready like regularly practice yoga um whether it's like in a studio or following someone you know online on youtube whatever it is but they're also really trying to work towards this, you know, intuitive eating and body acceptance. What might be, um, I don't want to say red flags, but maybe some indicators that they can look out for almost like those diet culture messages, or just those non anti-diet yoga messages that they might hear. Um, and just to be aware of them if they do hear them.
1: Sure. So I think one thing is any talk about, trying to change your body Mm -hmm. so if people are, are if your instructor or your teacher is talking about you know burning off those calories from a meal that you ate or we need to get our heart rates up so that we can slim down for the summer season you know anytime a theme like that is coming into class I think that's a huge red flag and that's maybe a little bit more obvious of one I think another kind of red flag is is the teacher giving you authority over your body And so Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, are they pushing you to go into a pose that you feel you are not ready to do, you know, Mm -hmm. this messaging of try harder, or you're not giving enough in class, or you could do that if you really wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's this push and I believe in, in encouraging my students to explore different things, but I don't know if this is right for you. And maybe it was right for you yesterday, Mm -hmm. but this week, it does not feel good for you to go upside down you know, or it does not feel good for you to put more weight on your wrist, whatever's going on. So if, if a teacher is pushing you to do something outside of your comfort zone, I think that's another big red flag. And then the languaging in class can be another um, thing to look out for. One thing that I um, try to be very conscious of, and I, it's funny because I recorded a video recently and I noticed I slipped on something, <laughs> but when I talk about the, di- the different options in our poses. So when we go into a class, there are different ways to approach a pose and there's ways to make them maybe a little bit more challenging.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe
1: it's challenging more of your balance. Maybe it's taking a little bit more strength. But a lot of times you'll hear um, yoga teachers say, and now we're gonna do the full expression of the pose. That's a Mm -hmm. phrase that can be kind of common. And that's kind of saying that there's this ultimate ideal place Mm -hmm. that you should get to in your body in this pose. And the reality is, is that for some of us, that is never going to be attainable wow. for a variety of reasons, right? So like going into this full version, and I think you said something earlier about like somebody doing the full version of crow pose, right? Mm-hmm. So that they can balance. Um, and if I say to my students, now we're going to do the full version and they yeah. can't do that, then, then what are they going to start thinking about themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, am I not really doing yoga? Will I never be, you know, A yoga student if I can't do these full things. So what I like to do is I like to say we have options today. Mm -hmm. Here's option one. Here's option two. Here's option three. There is no judgment. There is no um, expectation that you do option three, but it's really just your chance to explore what feels right in your body right now in this moment. Mm. And that changes. And I wanted to give you ownership to make that choice for yourself Mm -hmm. and doing tree laying on your back and doing tree standing next to a chair and doing tree sitting in a chair and doing tree with your eyes closed, balancing on a block (laughs) in my mind are all for full versions of the pose. It's where you are in that moment.
0: I love that so much. I have never, (laughs) I've heard that so many times in yoga, the fullest expression, but I've never thought of it in that way that you just explained. And that is especially for crow. I can relate to the crow because (laughs) (laughs) it's a tricky one for me. And I, it is, I, I saw you posted, I think it was like a reel or something. And it was like, this is crow. This is also crow. And it has that what in my head is the full expression of crow, but it's also all these other options too. And so I love, I love that so much. And it's so relatable to just movement in general. I think about the folks who like, they don't consider themselves a runner if they can't run a 5K or if they can't run a marathon. It's like, if you run down your block, <laughs> that's running, you're a runner. Right? So that is, I, I love so much that you mentioned that. It's just like a mind blowing moment for me. And I'm never gonna not be able to hear full ex- expression of a pose <laughs> and
1: not think about this conversation. <laughs> I know, I it's funny. I mean, it is, that's what's, it, and that's what's taught in a lot mm-hmm. of teacher trainings. And yeah. there are some, there are some really great resources and I can give you, um, links to, to share with people, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of wonderful teachers that are teaching about accessible yoga that are teaching about body, um, different body compositions and sizes and how we can adapt yoga. And, um, if you look for those resources out there, they're there. Um, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's important for anybody that is Maybe thinking about being a yoga teacher that is a yoga teacher or just wants to kind of deepen their relationship through yoga, knowing that there's options there that are going to really help you adapt yoga to your body, not try and adapt your body to the yoga.
0: Mm, Yeah. That reminds me of like buy clothes that fit your body. Don't try to fit your body into certain clothes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The the
1: pants, their job is to fit you, not the other way around. (laughs) same as a yoga practice. Like we're going to find a way that triangle is going to work in your body. Mm -hmm. Maybe we have to play with it a little bit, but we're going to find that. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll find a way that you can get the intention of that pose, um, and get something out of it. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make you, that doesn't put you in pain. That doesn't make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, we can do that together.
0: Yeah. And I'm also curious for folks who might be listening that they just don't think yoga is for them. Like they don't maybe enjoy it or, or maybe they, they want to try yoga, but they don't really know how to integrate it into their life or maybe why they should try it out. Like all these different things. So I'm curious if you could talk just about like the general benefits of yoga or that, folks, you know, the benefits that they've experienced, and then also might, what might be some good first steps to, you know, to trying out yoga if they're wanting to.
1: Yeah. I would say anybody that's like, yoga is not for me. Um, I invite you to get curious about that. I invite you to, um, look at why you believe that. Mm -hmm. Is it because you've tried it and just felt lost in a class because I think that can happen a lot. Yeah there's a lot of um, there's a language difference. so depending on how the teacher cues, um, you know the names of the poses are not always spoken in English. if you're a native English speaker. Um, you know you hear a lot of if you go to a, like a vinyasa style class, which is a more flow style class, it's more kind of calling out poses sometimes where it's downward facing dog, up dog. Cobra, mm. Warrior, what you know, and if you don't understand what those shapes look like, that can be challenging. So, is it is it that you haven't been in a class that really allowed you to learn? Is is one question. If it's a feeling of maybe get curious about, is it have something to do with your relationship with your body? Like, mm. does it feel uncomfortable to find stillness? And that can be for, because there is a lot of stillness in, in many yoga classes, and and get curious about why, and that can be for so many reasons. Um, And finding a teacher or a style of yoga that helps you feel more comfortable in your body, that helps you feel more comfortable in stillness, I think can Mm -hmm. be helpful. And then also, you know, is it, it may not be right for you, Mm -hmm. but have you explored it with an open mind or have you gone in with fear of judgment or fear of being ridiculed because you feel your body or the way your body moves doesn't fit with the aesthetics of where you tried to practice? Mm. Um, because I think sometimes the, the, I don't, I don't like it, or I can't do it comes from a place of fear Mm. of not fitting in or not being accepted. And so just kind of getting curious with yourself. And then at the end of the day, you may be right. Maybe it was not right for you. (laughs) I would challenge that we could probably find a style or a way that you could slow down, that you could connect more with the sensations in your body Um, that feels safe for you. I think there's a way to do that, but it is finding the right experience, the right teacher, the right studio, you know, to, to facilitate that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even what you, you just mentioned too. Um, it reminds me of movement in general. Like, so, so many times I hear people say, I hate working out and it's like, well, is it that you really actually hate movement or, the forms or what, you know, that perception of what it, what counts as working out or movement or, you know, yoga, that's something that's like kind of a battle because it's again, that perception versus reality. Um, yeah. So I really like that, those questions to consider and reflect on, um, and just your encouragement to go into it with the open mind. Um, and really trying to strip away or move farther away, move a little bit away from those kind of societal expectations around yoga and what a yogi looks like. And, um, cause, and, and I think that there's like the appearance, the aesthetic part, and there's also a lot of other things that, you know, we don't have time to get into today, but just that we feel like if, if I'm going to be a true Yogi, I have to do all these different things. Um, but body size definitely being one of them. So I love that you, that you touch on that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, it's funny you said about like, um, if you're coming to, to any movement practice from a place of punishment, mm. um, it, that can be hard too on two sides. And I've had experience with people that say like, I don't like to do yoga because it doesn't count. Mm. Um, and that's also a diet culture thing. Like if, yeah. if you have this feeling that if you're going to force yourself to work out, it has to be punishing and you have to sweat or you have to burn so many calories or, you know, then slowing down for yoga may feel, and I've heard people say like, mm-hmm. it feels like a waste of time. <laughs> and so getting curious about your relationship with movement and the movement practices that you you gravitate towards are you doing that out of a place of care for yourself or are you doing that out of a place of punishment and trying mm. to you know listen to diet culture telling you that it has to be grueling to count
0: yes so using the feelings we have towards yoga as a way of maybe uncovering a a larger thing a bigger yes. bigger thing <laughs> Yes. i don't want to label <laughs> it like problem or whatever but just like no this overall perception that we have in in general that's really powerful um yeah i really like that that suggestion and that encouragement this has been so amazing i'm so glad we were able to connect i'm curious if you can tell us where we can learn more um from you about you what um maybe opportunities folks have to work with
1: you all the things for sure so I am on social media, which we've talked about a lot today, but I am on Instagram. Um, Anti Diet Yoga is my name over there. Um, That's a great place to connect with me. I try and post um, a variety of things where I share tips for your yoga practice, tips for incorporating intuitive eating into your yoga practice. I make some commentary on diet culture that really bugs me. Um, I love it. That's where I try and show up, and I love connecting with people there. Um, The other thing is, I have a website anti-diet yoga.com. That's where all of my um, offerings are available. So I have a few ways that you can work with me. I offer a once a week group class on Sunday mornings. You can attend that live or you can register and get the recording afterwards. And I have a lot of people that do that because they don't want to practice on zoom, even with the option of the camera off, they prefer to do the video on their own, on their own time. Mm. I have pre-recorded classes available there as well. And then I offer a membership Um, It just gives you access to all of my pre-recording classes, the live classes, um, and a discount on private sessions, and that's something else that can be really beneficial for people. Um, I do private one-on-one yoga over Zoom, and it's an opportunity to really dive in and explore your personal yoga practice and also exploring how intuitive eating can link with that yoga practice. Um, What I'm able to do and what's been beneficial for some of my clients is If you have some intuitive eating principles that are kind of sticking points for you, areas that you're just really having a hard time embodying or or living in your life, we can pull those out and work on that one-on-one through the movement to just Mm -hmm. really get in your body and start to feel what those those movement practices might be able to do to support you in intuitive eating Mm -hmm. um, and support you in your work that you're doing with maybe a nutritionist or um, a therapist, just to kind of give you that. All-encompassing look of your care, and knowing that intuitive eating is a process, and it's just relearning things in our bodies. So <laughs> those things are all on my website. I would love to connect with anybody that's curious, um, and I love seeing new faces in class or new little black screens with your name on yeah. it. If you don't have video <laughs> on,
0: <laughs> we can just imagine—imagine imagine what you look like and who you are. Yeah. Love it. Yep. <laughs> um, anything else that you feel would be helpful to share. Um, Yeah, that we didn't cover today. You did such a good job of like covering all the things I feel like, but anything else that
1: that you would like to talk about? I think I want to just encourage people um, as they explore their yoga practice to also explore a level of play when it comes to yoga. Sometimes I feel like there's this idea that it has to be so serious, um, that it's this deep spiritual work, which it is. And I think there's a place for that, but there also is an opportunity to explore to take time to play on your yoga mat and that may be approaching a pose you've never tried before that may be um I do things where I like to go upside down sometimes um I like playing around with handstands and headstands I like falling in handstands (laughs) and headstands probably because of my experience ice skating growing up but Mm -hmm. you know can you approach your your practice with a little playfulness and then can you learn that we fall down that things don't always go the way we expect them to but yoga play gives us an opportunity to try something new, fall down and see that we're okay and that we can keep trying. And Mm -hmm. so I just encourage people to maybe take that approach if they haven't before um, Mm -hmm. through their practice. And that aligns so well with
0: the whole concept of intuitive eating and the intuitive eating journey. Like we're going to have those high highs, we're going to fall off. And, but we have to remember that we can get back into the headstand, get back into the intuitive eating, get back into the process. So I love
1: that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's something that's helped me a lot on my journey and I try and help my students see that as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been
0: amazing. Um, I knew the moment that I saw your name and I started following you, I was like, yeah, I've got to connect with her. And I'm so glad that I did because the way you talk about intuitive eating and yoga and you make it so accessible, not only to just talk about with someone who, I mean, I'm, some, I'm familiar with yoga, but for folks that aren't, um, but even just the practice it practice excel, itself, making it accessible to folks. Um, so I'm really glad and happy to share your message with everyone.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. And I'm so glad we were able to connect as well. Yeah.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of GTB. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. You can also share this podcast on Instagram and tag me at Podcast. I will see you back here next week for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.